0: You're listening to the Experience Sikhi podcast, a deeper look into the Sikh identity. We present to you open, honest, and inspiring stories. No armor, pretense, or sugarcoating. Welcome to the Experience Sikki podcast, I'm Dilraj Singh. We begin the podcast by acknowledging that we are meeting on Aboriginal land that has been inhabited by Indigenous peoples from the beginning. As settlers, we're grateful for the opportunity to meet here, and we thank all the generations of people who have taken care of this land for thousands of years. In particular, we acknowledge the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe and the Huron Wendat. Also, just some reminders, if you guys like the podcast, please remember to comment, rate, and subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Google Play. You can also send us questions and feedback at podcast at experiencesitkey.com. Once again, that's podcast at experiencesitkey.com. Our guest today is Galunderseng. Singh. was born and raised in Toronto, Ontario. He completed his Bachelor's of Engineering at McMaster University and has worked in the software industry for about eight years now since graduation. In his free time, he loves to program further, Play soccer, loves to read, and can talk your ear off if you begin talking about investing, software, or tech, or a combination of the three. Don't ever mention real estate around him. You will regret it. So here's Galwinder Singh. How are you doing today?
1: Good, good. How are you?
0: Pretty good. We just went through that snowstorm and it's also weird now having you as a guest rather than a co-host, but glad to have you back. Our listeners are very eager to hear more about your career, your passions and what has led you here so far. But before that, can you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself?
1: Yeah. So, um, I, I kind of grew up in, uh, uh, I'll kind of start off at a uh, like very base level. I grew up in Toronto, uh, was born and raised in Toronto. Uh, we moved out to Brampton. Our cousins were uh, here, so we kind of wanted to come closer to family, moved to Brampton uh, at around age 10, I would say, age 9, um, and been here ever since uh, in Brampton um, and uh, went to school here um, and then eventually uh, met some people that got us into Siki And I guess we can probably get into that a bit later. Um, and um, yeah, went to university for software. Um, and now, yeah, I'm working in the software industry uh, so far. That's kind of we'll been my journey. we s-
0: actually start with your Siki journey so far because it does span back a lot longer than some of our other guests who were exposed to it a bit later in life. So when does your journey into Siki begin? Was it during your childhood years, or did that stage come when you were in university?
1: Yeah, so it started around age thirteen, um, but probably a little bit before that. Uh, we were in middle school, and the way it happened was our our whole family was uh, was not really into sake. We we grew up obviously going to the Gordwara, uh just a Typical Punjabi family, right? We would go to the we'd understand Guru Granth Sahib is our Guru. Um, but that was about it, right? It, it kind of stopped at that point. Um, eventually, um, we met some Sings who who kind of lived on our street. And we would just have some interactions with them at the beginning, right? Where we, we moved into our new house and we uh, would have just minimal interactions. But we would just know that they were there. Um, and then... Before, actually reverting back, we, we kind of knew them because our parents, we hadn't moved over uh, yet because our house was going to close in October, but our school was going to move. So mm-hmm. we had talked to them and so our parents would drop us off in the morning at their house mm-hmm. and then after school we'd go back to their house and our parents would pick us up from their house. Um, and so that kind of cemented the relationship and... That only happened for about a month, but that still gave a lot of gratitude to them uh, for doing that, um, at least for our parents. And mm-hmm. then we just created that type of relationship. And we would touch base here and there. We would play with their kids. They were fairly close in age with us. And so mm-hmm. we lived in a court. They lived literally down the street, and we would just play all the time uh, with them. Um, and they were very uh, persistent, if you will. And they, at one point, they started coming over at a house, uh, the Uncle uh, his name is Papa Ji, he would come over and he would come around seven right before we were about to leave for school. And so we'd listen to Sakya. He would tell Guru Gobind Singh Ji and he would uh, tell all these random sakya that he just, insane amounts of Sakya that he had memorized. And mm-hmm. we would listen to that and then we would go to school. And my dad would be working in construction so a lot of his work was during the summertime is very seasonal so during the winter this would happen and we'd see them sitting on the ground uh, in our kind of living area um and we, we would sit down listen to these sake, and go to school come back and now they're still sitting in the same position uh, mm-hmm. on the ground but now there's like bread pagore right there's like extra yeah. like food and jaw like all over the place um and we would now listen for another hour, right, of these Mm Sakya, And obviously my dad's been listening to this for like six hours at this point, six, seven hours uh, for our school duration. And so that had a huge influence uh, on us, right, our whole family. And definitely my dad and my mom, and we would obviously have that little bit of influence as well. And then what started to happen was at school – when I started wearing a and things along those lines, because of hearing of all these sakhiya, there's someone at school who said, oh, you should come to G- gatka," And I had I had heard of gatka, but I hadn't really known that they actually do Gataka here or, or anything along those mm-hmm. lines. So then yeah. I started going to those classes. Um, and now there's like a whole new world that opened up, right? So that's where it kind of started uh, for me, I would say.
0: And as you got a bit older... <clears throat> what attracted you to the Sikh Youth Federation Which has now transitioned into experience Sikhi
1: Yeah so I guess a little bit before that It was uh, so I had Gotten to um, A little bit of Sikhi that way Through friends and just being exposed uh, Via Gataka and, and All those uh, routes And and then My parents took Amrit and I took Amrit Very shortly after so around In high school grade 9 grade 10 I had uh, Already taken Amrit um and so i went through high school with with that sangat, and then in university you kind of go away right mcmaster university is about an hour away um i did stay um in hamilton um off campus but i stayed in hamilton uh luckily i went with a friend who was amartari for he had been amartari for the for his whole life um we ended up staying together um and that helped, I, I would say, a little bit, right? Um, having that type of Sangat go with you uh, to a whole new city, uh, especially with people from all walks of life, um, and also living on your own for the first time, right? Uh, our family was fairly reserved in the sense that I didn't go to many places uh, in high school as well. Like, I didn't go on these uh, random trips that all, all the kids were allowed to go yeah. to. I kind of stayed home, right? I was a really ho- um, big homebody. And mm-hmm. for that reason went to university you have a lot of freedom right um and so that and the the kind of grounding of of my friend and me as an influence on him right we both kind of stayed uh in our lane so to speak um we we didn't go um kind of experiment or anything along those lines thankfully right because uh, it's a very interesting age where you can kind of teeter-totter between a lot of things mm-hmm. right if the influence is is right right if you don't have the right sangha, having the right sangha is very important right and we all we both know that and uh, i think it's very important so we got introduced to the ssa there so we wanted some sanghat uh, at university and there was ssas uh, that were already kind of um, thriving not just at mcmaster university but other universities um and so when we went the first week around just like walking around uh to look at all the clubs the cl- i think it was called club day or something um mm-hmm. there was the six six uh, association table and we went and we are yep. like hey this is our these are our people right yeah. and we went and talked to them uh they were great very welcoming um i believe the the president at that time was Ikdeep God. she's she's a phenomenal person she was very welcoming brought us in Um, and we started talking and they said, yeah, we have a meeting come out. This is gonna be our first meeting. It'd be great. And we went there and it was, it was like, we were at home. We were back in Brampton. It was Mm -hmm. no change. Um, and that made us feel very, uh, quote unquote safe. Like we were like, all right, we have some kind of backbone and uh, a community here that we can always go to and trust uh, if we are Mm -hmm. ever in need, right? And I think that helped and that's how it kind of started, right? Um, The SSAs were a, uh, I believe the word is conduit to get to what the Sikh Youth Federation became, right?
0: And how did that collection of SSAs begin? Because when you joined the SSA, it was at... um, at those early stages when sick youth federation was maybe an idea that hadn't even been brought up yet but the the fire was there so how did it come to fruition and what did your involvement look like um how were ssas involved what did you do together
1: yeah so the ssas um were kind of the cornerstone of uh, the sick youth federation right um we by the time second or third year rolled around We had already been involved uh, a fair bit in the SSAs. And I think the fire, as you said, was already there um, with all the SSAs uh, individually. Everybody had the same idea for some reason. Uh, It was like, Maraj Karpa, they kind of had the same mindset from the Mm get-go of how this is going to look or um, that we need something like this. And that's why they say, like, nothing happens just because we wanted to happen, it's Gorparsad, because er everybody had sort of the same fire and same kind of vision from the Mm -hmm. get-go. They all thought all the SSA should come together. We should do something bigger. Uh, We all have the execution mindset. We all have a vision. Why not come together and actually make it come to fruition? And so that's what happened. I think we started uh, getting people coming to our Geertans, Uh, networking with them. We started going to their kirtans, their events, um, and those relationships started forming. And when some key people kind of got together, um, those conversations at those events started happening as well because everyone's like, oh, this is what we think should happen. And they're like, hey, we're thinking the same thing. And and so Mm -hmm. that type of conversation began, um, that discussion began, and that's where I think... um, all the SSAs coming together kind of started this, uh, This um, uh, started SYF, right?
0: And why do you want to stay involved when the SYF has now transitioned into ex- Experience key The events are much more different than what they initially may have looked like in 2013 when SYF began. So what's your motivation to stay with the organization and continue this, Eva?
1: Yeah, good question. So I think... SYF started as a collection of SSAs. Um, we mm-hmm. wanted to make an impact for the youth. Um, and then we realized as we grew older that there was a whole different set of the bunch, obviously, which is uh, the older generation that also wants to be involved and didn't feel they were youth anymore, but they under they they still wanted to be involved and actually give back right um mm-hmm. and not just with this fund in terms of your money, but this fund in terms of your time um they wanted to actually contribute in terms of their time and what they were able to provide uh in that front, so we realized that our organization, as we were getting older, needed to be morphed into something that was not just beneficial to the youth but beneficial to the older uh generation right and so i think that has that's been the cornerstone of our i think most of the savatars that have been bo- involved with syf as well is that we want to be continually uh doing seva right and helping helping mm-hmm. where we can um and w- we are just expected to uh give this one the var- this one in terms of money but also because the one of our time and i think that's always been the um the reason that everyone stays involved they're like hey this is not just that aspect of this one right and so i think that's one reason i'm staying involved obviously is because um it's our duty right it, it's our responsibility to the month uh to do that um and so that's why that's why we do it
0: it's funny how things come back full circle because. SYF transitioned into ES because you wanted to cater a different age group and now you're becoming part of that age group that you initially wanted to cater and then we have people like me who are now considered youth um, trying to, to understand how these events and the organization works as a whole. In terms of being part of an SSA, from what I know of an engineering undergrad, it can be very time intensive and being involved in not only an SSA, but now also a bigger organization like SYF, you mentioned going to their events. How did you go about balancing the school workload and then also the event workload?
1: Yeah, so good question. Um, The easy answer, I didn't manage it well. Um, I don't think I- That's fair. Yeah, I don't think I would have, I probably would have done better in school had I not done any of these events. Uh, mm-hmm. or be be involved in the s s a s locally uh I definitely prioritized uh a lot of this aspect of my life uh more mm-hmm. so than not not than i than I should have, but if my goal was to have the highest grades, then this definitely would not be the optimal solution um mm-hmm. but it ended up working out right because I made lifelong friends who have similar views. Uh, that have probably contributed to my success in some way or another more than um, those extra few basis points that I would have gained in terms of my grades, right? Um, mm-hmm. So I think I think I definitely don't regret anything. Um, a nice. lot of the things that I've gained, it's immense that how much I've gained in terms of the scales, even that I can apply towards my professional cl- cl- career uh, because of uh, SYF and ES. Um, more so than I think I can say for the extra few courses uh, or the courses Mm -hmm. that I did uh, learn um, getting a few extra basis points in terms of the grades on on those courses. I I don't think that would have helped at all. So I think I made the right choice in that front.
0: Did your parents have anything to say when you were going to all of these events? And I'm sure your grades were still great, but did they push you to maybe focus on them a little more give it a bit more time?
1: Hmm. So thankfully, my parents were very, very supportive. Uh, they have been phenomenal. Um, I know in our kind of culture, it, it's seen as parents are very strict and saying, OK, you need to do this. You need to do this um, school, school, school. And they mm-hmm. were very uh, persistent on school. They think it was very important, but they never forced grades so much so that it was above my mental health which I really appreciated they always mm-hmm. put my uh, mental health above everything and they said listen if you think you can't do this let's figure out another avenue right you're giving it a go you're trying your best that's all you can do um, mm-hmm. and my mom always used to so I'd call them if I was stressed or anything along those lines and they'd always say this kahavat uh, they'd say "Malida kam falful lona uh, right I believe that's how it goes and so the gist of it is the the gum come is just to plant the flowers right that's that's his job um all he has to do is plant the flowers if it blooms or doesn't bloom that's not up to the farm or the the kind of um uh, the mudli right It's, Mm -hmm. that's Maraj's gum. So basically, you do the work, you put in the hours, you do the work, and that's the best you can do. The result is in Maraj's hand. And that really gives me solace. Because I think when you're in school, um, you worry a lot, just in life, you worry a lot about the result rather than Mm -hmm. the input. And I think... That always retrained my mind, got me back to, okay, worry about the input, don't worry about the output, worry about the input, don't worry about the output. And that reset helped me a lot and gave me a lot of peace and that allowed me to continue with school uh, in a way that got me through school uh, with decent grades um, and still having the ability to do all these events on the side, uh, which always made me happy. I was always very happy doing uh, these events I think were the happiest times yeah
0: it's interesting you bring that up I remember reading a quote from Baisa Pai V. Sangji and they mention a very similar analogy but in relation to Simran as in it's all about the input your goal is to continuously do it because you never know when Maraj is going to like snap his fingers and be like here you go here's the font. but the thing is you have to be persistent consistent and you just want to love the input that you're putting into it because the output's going to be that much better, but you just Mm -hmm. don't know when it's going to come or how it's going to come. I find that very interesting how these analogies that some of these um, very learned individuals in our month have given us apply to both the sicky side of life, but also the professional side. In terms of, before we get into your work experience a little bit more, why did you choose software engineering as your career of choice? And, For the listeners that don't know, a lot of these career names are just buzzwords. So, what does a software engineer actually do?
1: Yeah, good, good question. Um, So, there's two streams, and I think when you're in high school, this is why events like Sikea are very important, in my opinion. Um, Because when I was, do you want to tell
0: listeners what Sikea was? Yeah, sure.
1: Yeah, so shameless plug, I guess. um, Sikea is a professional. Career Development Conference. Um, it allows you to be immersed in terms of what type of career you want to do for four days. We, we take you down to Toronto, um, and you will get immersed in the, in the full career. Uh, you will find out, uh, you'll get job shadows, you'll have resume critiques, uh, you will have one-on-ones with people in that career, and so you can has, ask any type of question you want. Um, If I had that when I was in university, um, I think it would have helped a lot. Uh, Thankfully, I went into a career that I do really enjoy, so that that ended up working out. Uh, Had it not, then I really would have wanted something like Sikhiya because what Sikhiya allows you to do is see exactly what's behind the curtains after university versus just being told the uh, brochure type of kind of display of what that career is, which is sometimes a Mm -hmm. facade. Um, Yeah. And I think with software um and generally in my career i've been lucky I, I had a few mentors uh that were in software, so we had conversations with them uh it was my uh mom maji uh and he um he's in software as well. Uh, he did software engineering from McMaster as well. So that that worked out and so we talked to him and he explained kind of the two avenues that we could have taken at that point. I'm sure there was more, uh, but those are the two main ones, which was software engineering and computer science. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I think one way to explain the difference, which I didn't know before as well when I was uh, going to university, um, is I actually was gonna go into computer science um, I had applied to a couple universities. Uh, I had applied to Waterloo for computer science. Um, and I was going to go to Waterloo, and but I got into engineering at McMaster for software engineering. Um, and I was going to choose Waterloo because I thought, yeah, computer science is, is the way to go. Um, and it probably would have been. It, it would have been fine because we do similar things after you graduate. Mm-hmm. Now, What the difference between computer scientists and and software engineers are, um, from an overall perspective, the way my uh, mamaji had explained and my research kind of backed that afterwards, is, is better to explain it in a different field. So think chemistry and chemical engineer, right? Chemistry is the study of the science of chemistry, right? Whereas chemical engineer... uses the knowledge that the chemistry department probably pushes forward to make it into an industrial process that is useful out in the world, right? Mm -hmm. So the science necessarily might not be applicable to the real world just yet, but they're pushing the bounds of the uh, chemistry science. Uh, Chemical Mm -hmm. engineers will use what is necessary um, and make it so that it's useful in the world in some sort of fashion, right? Right. And so software engineering is kind of the same thing. Computer scientists, some of them study algorithms uh, at a very low level, very mathematical level, and we will use those algorithms and kind of the bounds that are being pushed in a way that will actually benefit um, a lot of the the world um, using that as as the foundation, right? So think, mm-hmm. let's say a computer science department created some sort of algorithm that helps a certain problem, and then Facebook uses that algorithm, software engineers will use that algorithm in uh, implementing it on, on Facebook servers, et cetera, or, or the code that mm-hmm. they have. Now, having said that, in practice, it ends up being the same. Um, because when you go into the world, they're now looking not really for software engineers, they say software engineering, computer science equivalent, because most people are not working on um, safety critical systems, right? And so, they're working on, a lot of them are working on data applications or apps like Snapchat and things along those lines, which probably have some sort of um, security involvement and things along those lines, but it's not, the the bar isn't high enough. And so, a computer scientist or a software engineer could technically work for those companies, and Mm -hmm. in practice, they do. However, if you want to work for, let's say, NASA or you're working for um, you're working on software for trains or cars or things along those lines. Um, mm-hmm. More often than not, you need electrical engineers, software engineers, um, uh, other like types of. Uh, there's another engineer, uh, mechatronics engineer. Uh, you know, need those types of engineers where they might have a couple of them that have done their png uh, which is a safe uh, kind of um, ethics uh, kind of application and says yep you you've passed this course uh and you can do and practice engineering at a very uh robust level right and so Mm there there you have to you have to not take it at a science type of um lens but at that point you have to be very rigorous in terms of your engineering and have high safety standards etc not saying obviously computer scientists can't do that but that's what where the engineering component comes in right um and that's what we've been taught our whole our whole um, kind of syllabus is all math and, and um, uh, very rigor-based uh, versus, from my understanding, computer scientists ver- dwell a lot into the, the languages that are available um, and a lot of on the software and programming side, right? Uh, whereas in software engineering, um, even though it's, it's in the name, um, it's a lot of math, Uh, relative to computer science. That's my understanding, at least.
0: Other than your mom, explaining the difference between the two fields, did you have a pre-existing interest in software engineering, computer sciences, and did that influence the programs you applied to for undergrad? Yeah,
1: so... it it did, and I know I'm going on a tangent here. I get. I told you, if you start talking about tech, I, I will get into it. So if, if you guys have checked out already, uh, uh, I guess you probably won't hear this, but um, I, I apologize. But yes, they. Uh, I I was programming. I started programming when I was in around grade eight. Um, I've been exposed to computers uh, fairly early on because some of my cousins, um, and then I got into it. I got my computer um, around that age, and so. I just started to learn to program. Um, I would just read tutorials and and figure that out. And so I've always loved to program. And so I think it was just a natural progression. It just made sense uh, to go into this field.
0: Did you consider a different career path? Um, Did you consider a different career path while you were in your undergrad studies?
1: No. I think while well yes Uh, sorry i was uh, i did forget one aspect so when we were um in school we would we would obviously program and i loved it but then i realized i'm like hey hang on there there might be another avenue where i could use both right so i read this um book by robert green i just don't remember um what the name was uh I believe it was called mastery by robert green Mm -hmm. and he had mentioned how um you you should probably merge two fields uh together uh and if you do that you have a higher likelihood of being probably the top most um notable person in that field because you're merging two Mm -hmm. fields together because the competition is lower right um me being the best software engineer out there, probably very hard. But me being yeah. a software engineer who's fairly decent, uh, w- having a law degree, that might be very interesting, right? Mm-hmm. And so by third year, I I had decided that I wanted to at least explore the idea of going to law school. Mm-hmm. And so I had asked um, one of uh, my, my friends... Um, well i would say uh they're more of like i thought the thought of them as more like mentors um they would come to one of our ssa events see this is where it comes in it's like you you make those connections and it helps a lot um mm-hmm. we were running a, a career development uh event in second year so this was way before syf and, and sikia um but we we realized that we should probably do that as well so they came down and um i i was Joke around with them is they, um, so the, the husband was a doctor, so an MD, but he also had a PhD, so he's like a doctor, doctor, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, the wife, she was a biomedical engineer who's also a lawyer. Um, wow. yeah, so I'm like, you guys are the, the Indian, uh, stereotype all in one couple, right? So they're like doctor, <laughs> yeah. lawyer, engineer. Um, so they, So the lawyer, um, she um, basically asked, like, what what do you want to do? And I'm like, I've been kind of toying with the idea of going to law school. Can you show me around the UFT law school? Um, And then we can talk about the career and how it kind of works in that that front. And she said, yeah, sure. So We went down, uh, met up at UFT law school, and she showed me around the campus just to kind of see, what it looked like and we would just have the conversation while she was showing me around and she by the end of it she asked me this one question uh she said why do you like software um and i like i'm like i like software because when i'm programming and there's this problem that you hit um you've been trying to get get by it for like three weeks and you just can't get it um and then you finally get it i'm like that that feeling that euphoria that you get is insane. Like you've just solved this problem. You've been banging your head on this problem for so long and you're finally past it. Right. Uh, Mm -hmm. And she just looked me point blank in the face and she said, don't go to law school Uh, because she's like, you probably will not get the same type of feeling from law. Uh, She's like, we have different types of kind of versions of excitement um, and what, what kind of excites us. And so she's like, you probably won't get that uh, from law. Mm. And I said, Okay, that's fair. Uh because she, cuz she's been on the other side, she was a biomedical engineer. Um she was in the mindset of she loved learning and 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 kind of having that engineering aspect, but she didn't care to actually make anything. She's like I didn't I didn't care for that. She's like I just love learning about these new inventions, and that's why she's an IP lawyer, right? It makes sense. She learns about yeah. these inventions and now uh she I guess creates patents for them or or kind of protects them, right? So mm-hmm that's when I realized that I should probably just stick to what I like doing, which is software.
0: So although you've been working after your undergrad for eight years now, have you ever considered any additional postgraduate education? Or another thing that was mentioned with Benitzing in our podcast in Victoria was continuing studies, something that he likes exploring to better a uh, fine tune his craft or add more skills to his arsenal have you considered any of those options
1: yeah so actually the, i had known obviously of continuous studies um uh, prior to Pneet Singh mentioning it but i hadn't mm-hmm. really known what it what it was really and when he explained it to us last year um that was actually very interesting cuz i was like hey that might actually be something i'd be interested in uh however before that i had considered Um, different I guess um, like postgraduate um, options like maybe doing a master's in software engineering or something along those lines or an MBA Um, a lot of people say oh yeah you should just do your MBA Um, but having done a bunch of research uh, you realize that there's, there's one main thing you get with an MBA it's of course the knowledge Right. But that knowledge is available in about 100 books. Like if you were to read those, you could probably get the knowledge. What you don't get is perhaps the discussions and the main thing, which is the network. All right. You're mm-hmm. surrounded by these smart people who have very ambitious goals. Um, they probably are going to do something with their life and partnering with a select few of them might r- get you to a point where you can um do something uh, out in the world, create a business or something along those lines, right? Um, But I don't know how, and also having heard from my mom, that uh, getting to, breaking the ceiling of the director kind of level um, is usually very hard, especially in the older companies, without an MBA, right? And so he said, if you want to go down up the kind of uh, chain of command, so to speak, in these companies, you're probably not going to be able to do it without an MBA. So that is something that I had considered, um, but I've kind of shied away from it because I don't think that's kind of the route I want to go.
0: Fair. Another thing that's fairly unique about your career path so far is that you've been with your software consultancy company for quite some time. Turnover is a big issue that a lot of companies are facing in today's day and age. And part of that is because youth are more willing to explore take those risks what benefits have you found staying with your company
1: yeah so i think both avenues are okay um i'm a person who first of all because of our extracurriculars um i don't really like the the different um what's the word i'm looking for the quick turnover I guess in my life uh, I'd like something mm-hmm. to be stable there's a lot going on with, with our extracurriculars so I, I needed my job uh, uh, to kind of be stable so that's one uh, but jumping from job to job you can earn a lot more I would say right um, we all know that mm-hmm. is uh, you, can, uh, you can earn uh, a fair bit if you jump jobs right but my I had always heard that uh, learn in your 20s earn in your 30s so to speak Hmm. and i i kind of took that to heart cuz i'm like yeah i need to learn um having said that i probably would have learned different things if i had jumped uh, to a different company but i think i'm still learning at this job um for for quite some time and and for the last 8 years i have been i've been jumping projects and cuz it was a software consultancy i got to touch different Uh, types of software and from different clients and so that allowed me to learn uh, different avenues had i been at a single company with uh probably just one product i would have still learned different things but um they're all under the umbrella of one type of thing right you're kind of doing Mm -hmm. one goal um so i think that's one um just having the ability to learn uh and just stay within a job um the second thing is it, it it was a small company Right, and because it was a small company, I was able to do more uh, things. I I I was given more opportunities to do different things outside of software that I probably wouldn't be involved in at a larger company. So I'll give you an example: is um, I was involved in the the product I was working on at the time. Uh, We had to demo to different clients, and so when you're demoing the product to a client, um, the client is probably like if. Fortune, like five hundred company, trying to buy uh this the software off of you because they in the medical field, and so they're paying. They're probably gonna pay a couple mil for this product, and Mm -hmm. being in the room with these guys to be able to demo this product. Um, having been in the company for two years uh, outside the outside of school, that probably wouldn't be an opportunity. I would get a larger company, right? I wouldn't be in Mm. that type of room. Uh, whereas yep. in this case, I was right. Um, we had gone down to Toronto for one of these companies for a partner. And it was our CEO, our sales manager, myself, and their CEO, their um, couple of different um, positions and a develop, uh, a developer, um, all in the same room. Um, I and I had to demo the product, answer questions, etc. I would not get that benefit um, at a larger company. So that mm-hmm. gave me skills that I wouldn't be exposed to, um, had I done different, I had taken different avenues and that's why I stuck with this, um, kind of position, um, that so, and the potential for growth in, in those avenues. And then also the manager, I think they always say like, you don't quit your job, you quit your manager, right? Um, yeah. hmm. and in this case, I realized that my manager, um, is and was great, um, he has always had my back i've learned a tremendous amount from him and so for that reason i just stuck with with this company because i'm like i can keep learning and and i have someone who who looks out for my interests and wants me to grow so why would i change right i don't know how well it would look outside and i'll mention one last point before i kind of turn it back over to you but i also stayed because all these veterans would come back into our company from these other companies like. Um, Blackberry uh, and a couple of these other fairly big IBM, etc. They would come and they said, we don't actually, we haven't seen a culture like this outside. And there are people who've been in the industry for 20, 25 years, 30 years. And they're like, we haven't seen a culture like this. And I'm like, well, I should probably take that under under advisement. If they've Mm -hmm. been in the industry for so long and they haven't seen a culture like this, Why the hell am I going to leave and try to see for myself, right? I'm sure companies exist that have an amazing culture, Um, but I, I just decided why should I change if I'm still learning and there's still this great culture and great manager. So that's why I've stuck around for a while.
0: While you continue learning, now that you're, I guess you would be considered a veteran at this company as well, are you becoming a mentor and how much time... In terms of your professional time, your work uh, on the hours or on the clock work is dedicated towards mentorship of, I'm not sure what the titles would be, junior developers, junior software engineers. What does that look like?
1: Yeah. So uh, in terms of time, uh, I spend probably uh, probably daily in terms of mentoring because I have a team that um, we're working on a product or a project. And so uh there's questions daily in terms of software questions or um overall how we should approach a certain problem etc so in that in that sense it's almost daily um mm-hmm. but i also um have become a manager um and so i'm managing a, a couple of developers as well and so i'm assisting them in their professional kind of development as well throughout the company as well as a whole um mm-hmm. at, yeah so there's kind of two avenues and I don't need to spend too much time in, the, in that HR manager, so to speak, um, probably a couple, couple hours a month uh, on that front, but probably daily in terms of the technical side.
0: Since you mentioned HR, do you also engage in recruitment for the company or is that left completely to the HR and you and your role are focused solely on your team and your product?
1: yeah so good question i'm gonna tie this back to another reason why i stayed at this company for so long is Mm -hmm. i so i do at this moment i if there's a new developer that i'm hiring for my team um i will definitely be involved in that and we'll be um interviewing at the stage of technical interviews and and uh forward but and obviously the hr a uh, team is involved before that to uh filter out some candidates but mm-hmm. once it gets to us we definitely interview those people that are going to be on our teams or or adjacent teams and so the aspect i'm going to tie back is this started even before uh i was a manager so before i even became a manager i was being pulled into these interviews just for the experience um and that probably wouldn't have happened at a larger company right Mm-hmm. Um, but I was I was able to get there um, and, and interview and be on the other side very early on and learn how to interview um, uh, from my manager, my mentor, um, yep. to s- extract what information we need to actually extract to see if uh, someone's a good fit. And that's what led to a good culture as well, right? Hiring is very important, and so understanding yep. uh, what things to look for while interviewing are also obviously very important to get the right candidates in the door.
0: Interesting. What would you say has been the best and worst part of being a software engineer so far? And you can include your experiences as a manager in this as well.
1: Yeah, so interesting. It's a very good question. Um I would say the best part is the code itself. I love working on uh code and just learning uh different uh, technologies, um, gaining or overcoming problems that are hitting uh, us as we're kind of creating these products or projects for different companies is very satisfying. I would say the technical aspect and me actually writing code, probably best part of my job, and I still love doing that. Um, And I do get to do that uh, a little bit less than I would like, but um, Mm -hmm. enough that it's still uh, still fun. The worst part of my job, I would say, is not the... management aspect I actually like doing that as well um I because somebody did it for me I do want to pass that on and hopefully I'm doing a good job uh, of that but I really do care for my team to actually progress in their careers and I try to do I try to pass on my best kind of device I can in their current career so they can actually mm-hmm. progress and be be kind of be become managers if they want or be become um better versions of themselves uh, and progress in their career right um to hold their own so to speak in this industry so Hmm. that i would say is the best part the worst part i would say is uh estimating i freaking hate estimating uh timelines because this world is riddled with when will it be done um and Mm -hmm. that is a very hard question for very complex things right so the issue with software engineering is every other type of engineering, uh, mostly, I would say, is very systematic. It's a, it's called a waterfall. You design, you figure out all the requirements, you design it completely end-to-end, and then you implement. So you if you're going to create a bridge, civil engineer designs the full bridge. And then once all the designs and simulations are done, etc., uh, I'm sure there's other like kind of stakeholders involved then they go ahead and build the bridge. And there's minor Mm -hmm. kind of nuances that things you have to fix, et cetera. But with software engineering, think of it like this. It's like creating a bridge and then halfway while it's being built, they want you to add a drive-through right in the middle, right? And so it's insane how much the the requirements change and the only reason they change is because they know it's very malleable it's not something like Hmm. a bridge where you put it out in the world and it's very difficult to change they know hey like we can add more bodies and we can try to do this but in practice that isn't the case it still requires a lot of work and Mm -hmm. so that's one requirements change and then another thing is they're trying to ask you to estimate these things when you don't know um because it's probably never been done before it's very new yeah. in this configuration right yeah whereas bridges or something like design it's been done before we've done it a, like building a house it's been done before we know kind of the process end to end um and the kind of procedure whereas software it's fairly new uh there is w- there are ways to estimate i'm not saying you can't estimate at all but there's there's ways to do it in a way it, You can provide a probability of success versus, okay, it's going to be done this way or at this time. And it's unfortunate because it's like project managers want a deadline and Mm software engineers can't give a deadline. And so there's a lot of kind of back and forth on that front. And that's probably the worst part of my job, handling all those stakeholders and trying to keep nice amongst everyone.
0: Interesting. It seems like you have to wear a lot of hats because something like project management is what I'm learning right now in the MBA and didn't necessarily think would apply in the field of software engineering or a consultancy company in general, Um, which I think just speaks to the versatility of a lot of careers, which is one of the goals we wanted to, or one of the concepts that we wanted to put out as part of this podcast is that although you may have an idea of what a career may look like, at the end of the day, there's a lot of durability, there are a lot of variations that shape some of the careers of our guests in terms of shaping not just your career but your professional or personal life can you think of any individuals that served as role models so again this could be your psyche development your personal development or your professional development
1: yeah so a bunch of role models I would say Um, in terms of uh, kind of software is yeah like my who who's been Uh, kind of helping me along the way. Um, I actually don't meet him very often. I have probably can count on probably both my hands in terms of how much I've met him. Uh, But each time they've given me valuable information that lasts me for a couple of years, uh, kind of ahead of my career. And so I think that's always helped. Um, And having the ability or knowing that I can always go to them for that knowledge. Um, Another mentor, obviously, is my manager at my current company, Uh, In terms of technical ability, I can always go to him and and somewhat in terms of my career development and and things like that. Um, And also how to see uh, both sides of software, which is the people and the tech, right? Um, Bridging that gap, um, I've learned a fair bit from him. So that's my kind of role models in terms of software. Um, In terms of Sikhi is all all the Sangat around me. Um, I always say um, probably the the worst one in syf uh and so everyone's above me so i would say uh everybody in syf is a mentor to me in some fashion or another um and i truly believe that um of course there's there's our uh there's mentors that apply to all of us uh people mm-hmm. like santaji and uh obviously guru, our guru sabs, right um and things along those lines but that that just goes without saying um and what was your last professional, uh, my professional, uh, or my personal life, if there's mentors? Yes. Yeah, so personal life, I would say, I would say my key mentors apply there as well. Um, the, I, I think it goes without saying. Uh, of course, uh, my parents, I, I would say, are, are, are my kind of role models in that front. Um, both provide different uh, types of. Lessons that I use to live my life um, And th- that has helped uh, shape who I am And how I kind of uh, go throughout life, right? Um, yeah, and how I want my life to look
0: I don't know why I'm reminded about this now But you mentioned that part of your intro to Sakhi Aside from the sakiya was also gatka. Is gatka something you continue to practice? Um, what were some of the lessons that it taught you when you were first entering onto this path?
1: Yeah, so I don't don't do Gatka anymore. Um, I I would like to get back into it, um, I think, or or some sort of martial art. Um, I think, uh, yeah, I really wish that I kind of stuck with it. Um, I went to Yod uh, um, by Sabri Singh. Uh, thank you for him as well. Um, and uh, I used to go to Baba, Deep Singh Ji Um that's how I kind of started off as well and so learned a lot of cool lessons um, in general one of the main thing is, is goes back to Sangat right everybody had everyone's back you kind of uh, learned uh, a tremendous amount uh, but what you learned is it's not just Gataka itself but also the ten- tangential kind of knowledge of Sikhi that you wouldn't have mm-hmm. kind of gotten from let's say just sitting in, uh, in the Barthag, right? Um, you would have just got that from the Sangat, from those conversations that happen before and after the Gatka akarta, or, or um, kind of when you're practicing, right? Or in between. Some of the best lessons that I've gotten were in those conversations because, um, and not just during Gatka, but also in and out of a- any type of event or uh, sometimes when you're... Or, when you're kind of done a certain phase uh, you have these conversations in between that give you the biggest lessons and you're like hey I never uh, thought of that like one time we went to Singh's camp to do a talk I went. I just went as a kind of support because it was a long drive so I just mm-hmm. went as a friend and Pai Pradeep Singh from BC uh, was having a conversation after the talk and I think I learned insane amounts from that uh, conversation I, I just I'm sure it's embedded in my psyche somehow in terms of the lessons I've learned so I can't pick, pinpoint exactly what lessons but I do remember that we stood there for three hours without sitting down and I was my legs were hurting and I was too afraid to sit down because I'm like if I sat down then it might disrupt the group in which case it'll end mm-hmm. and I didn't want it to end that's how good it was um, and I feel like everyone felt that it, it, we knew that if we anybody moved uh, it would end, and, and that was unfortunate. So things like that, um, I think, is what, what got uh, offered uh, during those times.
0: Something that I've noticed about you over the years that we've been able to work through ES together is your analytical viewpoint. Um, the way you think of things is fairly different, and part of that is your long-term thinking in terms of the month's development Goals etc So what do you feel like Is our responsibility to the month As not just Amrit 36 But also professionals In the West
1: Yeah so I, I love how you said Different and not necessarily Better or good or anything like that It definitely is different um, So clearly that does, doesn't Mean it's always the best viewpoint <laughs> um, No comment Yeah um, But I will I will try to kind of push back on certain uh things. I, I try to I try to think out of the box because I think it will at least start a discussion which might lead to a better idea of how to approach a problem, right? Cuz we're so stuck in thinking the usual ways sometimes. Um that sometimes you do need to think outside the box and and see it might be a radical idea, it might be weird, uh but if it leads to a better idea, hey, great. Um uh, at least that ignited that, right? Um, so we shouldn't be, especially when you're brainstorming, you shouldn't be shying away from those uh, weird and obscure ideas. Um, mm-hmm. In terms of our duty to punt as professionals, obviously as six, like, as we know, right? Um, and, and I struggle with this every day. It's something that I think we as six will always struggle with is you need to uh, keep your bias there and try to improve that, um, and that's a journey. Uh, obviously that's also your duty to the Panth in a certain way, right? Um, I've heard that that's known as Seva as well in, in a certain fashion, right? So um, when I heard that, that was a very interesting kind of perspective, right? What uh, um, of? Uh, just like your Bani, your name, making sure you're increasing your uh, Simran and things along those lines, is mm-hmm. that is also, uh, can be viewed as Seva because you're doing Seva to the Panth in some sort of fashion. You're creating another proper Sikh, if you will um Mm -hmm. at least and and that's another side point is framing is so important it's interesting how things can change with just framing um Mm -hmm. so i think that is one one aspect of of uh uh, our duty back to the punt the other aspect is from professional uh side i truly believe that yes of course the key aspect is paramount right Uh, But right after that, we should be uh, in the professional world. We should be in the leading edge. We should be making an impact, um, at least trying, trying our best to be uh, the best we we can be um, and pushing the envelope in our professional world in some sort of fashion. Uh, Being business owners and now with the Internet and things that are available to us, much easier than I would say before. Of course, there's more competition, um, but we can at a large scale um, do so much more and organize at a at a speed that was not possible before. Um, mm-hmm. And I think we should utilize that and um, leverage the tools that we have available to us uh, to to kind of push the sick bunt as a whole forward in the professional community and support ourselves, right? Um, all communities do it, but I feel like we, we don't do it yeah. as much. Um, even though you see it uh, here and there, I think we can do better, right? And that's not to... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm not trying to kind of... L- what's... Yeah, I can't think of the word.
0: You're not discouraging what's currently there you go. going on.
1: Yeah, exactly. I don't want to discourage the efforts that are already been taking place because I think they've been phenomenal. Uh, but I think just let's double down and just do more of that.
0: Okay. Do you ever experience burnout as, again, either a professional or as someone engaged in seva? And the reason why I bring up that is because sometimes the discipline of being number 36 and being in school, being in work, Um, being involved in extracurriculars, being involved in a family can seem to be very um, overwhelming. So do you ever experience burnout and how do you recover from them or how do you prevent them from occurring in the first place?
1: Yeah, I wish I could answer this question. Uh, I Experience burnout? Yes, uh, of course. Um, How do I recover from it? I think... I personally um, I like my solitude so my computer is my solitude in certain certain way because I know I can always come back here and ju- just get into the zone um, look up flow state for all of you who want to learn more about that I think is very important um, but I get into the flow state when I program in cer- certain times and that is a very liberating experience because um, hmm. you just are doing something very technical and um, and it doesn't have to be technical. You can get into flow state for a lot of different things. Anyways, mm-hmm. that's a tangent. But I think that helps uh, in terms of burnouts. Um, and also what I've been learning more and more is that routine is very important. So just having a routine and coming back to that routine, they say usually that, oh, I, wa- I don't want to have a schedule. I just want to be outside a schedule. Uh, but I think having a routine is actually... Uh, freedom because it gives you some sort of other types of liberation because your mind isn't scattered all over the place right you can come back to that Mm. uh uh, schedule so i think i've experienced uh points in my life where i didn't have a schedule and that was very frustrating um and i'm trying to get back to more and more of a schedule uh to prevent that burnout aspect right um because if you have a schedule then you have an end time of work You have a certain time for family, you have a certain time for for the other activities that you want to do in your life, right? So I would say concentrate on having a routine. And sleeping, sleep, oh my God, sleep is very important. Um, I think if one thing you want to concentrate on uh, to better your health, better your um, depression levels, burnout, anything, um, I think start with sleep, right? Of course, water and things along those lines, but sleep, um, have eight hours of sleep learn about how to improve sleep uh, some pointers is don't obviously have screen time uh, two three mm-hmm. hours before um, don't eat two three hours before and um, you just have a cold room um, some tips right and then and sleep yeah. for eight hours the same time every day and that should really awesome. help yeah
0: this next question has been one of my favorites this season if you were able to speak with first-year undergrad Kulwinder, is there any advice or lesson you'd want to give him?
1: Yes, I feel like this is like a Tim Ferriss question. If you haven't heard of him, check him out as well. I have not. Yes, he's cool. <laughs> um, okay. So he wrote this book called uh, Something of Titans. I don't know uh, where he asks a bunch of very successful people the same question. Same. Five six questions, mm. so it's very interesting yeah. to see the variation amongst all these people. Um, so, first year undergrad, one thing I would tell them is stick with one thing for a very long time, right? And I feel like I didn't do that uh, enough. Like, so for example, I started a blog, stopped after like I would say like five ten posts. Uh, yeah. Started some sort of project, stopped, right? If I had just continued on one thing for the eight years i've been out of school i think that would have been that would have provided the compounded uh returns that i would have probably seen today um Mm -hmm. but and i knew to do the right things i knew which things to do um in terms of exactly what the right things would have been but i just stopped um midway and Mm -hmm. i think that was the problem it's do one thing and just keep doing it right cadence over consistency
0: moving from past to future where do you see yourself in a few years
1: yeah so um i think there's a bit like i i do always think about this but um i think it's a bit um hard to answer right now because i'm i feel like i'm in a a bunch of different avenues my life can pull me um but yeah i think I, i obviously see myself in the world of software um Again, I said I love real estate, so don't get me started talking about that. But I think something related to the real estate game uh, I'll probably be involved in uh, a couple more real estate um, things in my life. Um, that's in terms of my professional world. And just kind of raising my family, right? That, that would be the other aspect of, of my life that I want to continue. And then, of course, um, this goes unsaid, but ES, um, I think, will obviously be a, a very big part of my life as well.
0: So we are inching towards the end of the podcast and we like to end every podcast with the random 5. You've been asking these for an entire season, so I'm sure you've already thought of these answers before, but this is where I'm going to ask you five totally random questions yes, just for the random. listeners to get to <laughs> just for the listeners to get to know you better. So the first question is what is your favorite book?
1: Yeah, so this is a hard question because I have a bunch of uh books I could kinda name off. Uh but I I like to throw Rich Dad Poor Dad out, even though it's not very applicable probably now. Um or sorry, mm. it's probably outdated a little bit. But I I wanna revert back to what I said. It is very applicable as a as a foundation in terms of finance and how to think about your finances. Um I think mm. that uh could apply to anyone if you're not already in uh in this field and don't know much of a finance um, in which case there's a, a bunch of advanced books but this if you aren't in it this is a very good book to start off with
0: what is your favorite quote and or bani pangti
1: yeah so my um, uh, yeah the f- favorite ba- I'll say bani pangti uh, favorite bani pangti is uh, chinta ta ki, ki jo an honi hoe um that that i think gets me by uh life <laughs> in general um it helps me get by in life because you you are reminded that uh there's no reason to worry if um uh, everything that is being done uh it's if it was unhorny then it makes sense that you should worry but if it's going to happen it's going to happen right so why are you worrying
0: mhm what is you know? one of your weird quirks
1: i don't know i think it's hard to answer this question yourself, but I would say my weird quirk, I'm sure you can think of many, but um, I think one weird quirk is I say fair enough a lot. A lot of people make fun of me for doing that. So I would say that's my f- weird quirk, Saying picking I've, up a word and just constantly saying. it.
0: I actually learned that from you, and I've realized now that I bring it up in a lot of conversations <laughs> when I don't have anything else to say. Yeah. But no, that, that's fair. I can corroborate that. <laughs> that's fair. If you couldn't... <laughs> if you can meet anyone in history who would it be Ooh, that's a good one
1: um i would say something Singh singe mainly because i feel like um i probably should do more research on him uh, in general and learn more about his life uh to get these answers but i think if i just got the opportunity to talk to him i would want to ask him like where do you see this going now um He's mm. kind of been the cornerstone of the development of the diaspora uh of what we see today, right? He was foundational in that, and so just having his thinking and saying, "Hey, give us some direction. We we need we need some help." Um, I think, and so what 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 would be your ideas? That's that's what I would do. I would I want I just want to talk to him.
0: And the last one is, what's your biggest pet peeve?
1: Ooh, I don't really have many pet peeves actually so um Hmm. i don't know maybe people who just anyone who would like boast themselves too much i feel like that might be a pet peeve it's like um, there's a lot of cool people in the world i want to learn about you but don't like um yeah maybe like i I guess hankari in general right like um Mm -hmm. I don't know if I am, Hankari, maybe it's like you, the things you hate about people in the world, you should reflect on. You know how they say that? It's like you hate the things mm-hmm. that you have. So maybe that's me. So I got to work on that. But um, yeah, I, I guess that would be my pet peeve.
0: So before we end off today, is there anything else you'd like to tell our listeners?
1: Uh, Not really. I would say uh, in terms of uh, anybody who's listening, Obviously, there's different types of listeners, right? There's people who are trying to get into um, the professional world. And that's the audience we're trying to make it for, right? We're trying to make it for everybody, but mainly people who want to get into the software field and, or, sorry, some sort of field uh, and industry and learn more about it. Um, I would say, yeah, do your research. Uh, Talk to people who are actually in the field to get real-time understanding of how the field is right now. Um, and that, and see if that's actually what you would want to do for the rest of your life, day in, day out. Ask mm-hmm. them, how, what is the day in life of X, right? Um, yep. Because that will go a long way into understanding if you really want to go into this career or not. Um, I would say that would probably be the advice I'd give. And read. Oh, my God, read. Read as much as you can.
0: Awesome. Oh, so and, that brings And us... write. And
1: write. And write. Because you can read stuff... Uh, but writing is thinking, right? You will find your your gaps. I should write more self, myself as well. So it's advice to myself. But if you're listening and you actually implemented, this will be helpful. Writing is thinking and you will find gaps in your knowledge and that will allow you to fill those gaps, right? So write more as well. Sorry.
0: <laughs> Interesting. So that brings us to the end of our episode today. Thank you so much for sharing your story, your experiences and being so open with them. But uh, thank you to all the listeners for tuning in for another episode. You've been listening to the Experience Saiki podcast.